a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Great to be with you this morning. My name's Tim. I, I lead um, the, the youth team uh, um, here at Jubilee, um, and, and today I've, I've done a bit of a, Graham's just walking out the door, we're doing a bit of a, a, bit of a swap, he's going down to youth, and I'm, I'm coming up here, we're doing a bit of a, a swap for you. Um, it was cold this morning, wasn't it? It, lo- it looked great outside, didn't it? You woke up, the sun was just streaming in through our garden. It was cold though when we walked in, I mean, we, we had ice on our car. Anyone else have ice on their car this morning? It was so. So Jenny was out there for like ten minutes, just scraping it off before we got. And and honestly, the car didn't heat up until we got here, arrived in town, which it was just just horrible. But any, anyway, anyway, um, yeah, it was a it was a cold morning. The, the the weather has changed, and I'm I'm certainly not spending as much time outside in our garden as as we as we were doing over the summer. You know, I, I, I love spending time out there. I love spending time out, out in the garden. And, me, well, we've got a great garden. We've, it's this, we moved into the house with a, with a mature sort of planned garden already. It's quite a, a privilege to move into it. And there's this great big tree in there. And, and Jenny, my wife, she, she's got the vision for it. She knows what plant needs to go where. She's, she's at the garden centre. She's listening to gardeners' question time. She... <laughs> yeah, it's true, isn't it? <laughs> There's no shame in that, Jenny. And 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 she's and she's working hard. She's she even to the point of back the backbreaking work of sieving the the muck out of the the stones, the gravel that that we have in, in our garden. It's it's hard work. Okay, Are we we got any gardeners that put their heart and soul in, into looking after their garden? Great. Okay, but. Uh, yeah, honestly, though, <laughs> my idea of gardening is a little bit different. It's, it's a little bit more gardens there to have fun with the kids, to um, maybe occasionally mow the grass, maybe occasionally pick the, the fruit or the rhubarb or, or something like that. Maybe, well, but what it's mainly for is just is hanging out with, with my friends, with my family, just having a good time outside, whether, it, whether it's nice weather or whether it's just kind of in the stillness of the evening and, and going into the night. I just love being out there. We've got any, any gardeners like that that just, just love hanging out in their garden or on their balcony or just with the window open next to their window box? Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to take you back this morning to, to the first garden, that garden in Eden. It's, in, it's described in Genesis. This is, this is a, it's right at the beginning of Genesis. If, you, if you've got your Bibles with you, just, just turn to Genesis 2 and 3, primarily going to be in Genesis 3. And um, this, is a, this is a great place to be. This, this place is abundant. Okay, and this is, this is my kind of garden. There wasn't any backbreaking work to do in it. Okay, God, God put people in there to take care of it, but they, they weren't having to toil against weeds or, or anything like that. They, they were in an abundant place. And um, we're going to look today at, at what happened in the garden and also what happened 
when things went wrong in the garden. And that's called, it's what we, it's what we call the fall of man. But when we, as we're reading through in Genesis, it, it, isn't, it might be titled the fall, but it isn't actually, the, it isn't written in Genesis, this is where man fell. Okay, so, so this is a, a title, a concept that we've, that, we've, that we've given this a name to, given a name to in, in later years. So we're, we're going to look in Genesis 3. So there's this amazing, abundant garden. And I haven't started my, I haven't started my stopwatch. I have no idea what time I started. So that was, that was the first five minutes for free for me, which is really, really good. Okay. It's all right. There, there, there isn't a Grand Prix after church, so, so we can go on as, as long as we want. Um, so we're, we're, we're starting in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. You'll you'll not surely die, said the serpent. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So this, this is a conversation. Eden was a bit different. There were conversations going on between, between people and animals. And, and th- this is a conversation going on between... between she's, she's called the woman. We know her as Eve. But she, and we, we call her Eve later on in the story. She's known as the woman. And, and do you know what? She, re- she represents a lot of people. Okay? So, so she's, ha- she's having a conversation. And having a conversation about, about what God has said. And this, is, these are all kind of, this conversation is like a prelude to the first act of rebellion. The first act of, I'm going to do my own thing, God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing and, and choose to walk my own way. Because Eden had, was this amazing place where we were des- designed, people were designed to just hang out in Eden, hang out in the garden with their maker, with their creator. Okay? We, we're told in Genesis 3 that God came down to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. The plan was plan was that he'd come down and just walk with his people. He, he, God would be walking in the garden physically with his people. Such was the presence of God in that place that people and God dwelt together in, this, in, in an amazing, intimate unity. It, it, a fun, it's a phenomenal thought to think, you know, I'm going to go out for a walk today. I'm going to go out for a walk today with God, the Lord God, the creator of the heavens. I'm going out for a walk with him. And he, he said early, earlier on in, in the account in Genesis, he, he said that you, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But 
this, this conversation that Eve has with the serpent is a kind of prelude, a kind of seduction to the first sinful act. And a lot of it just kind of slips in under the radar. Things that, things that we don't really notice, perhaps on, on the first reading, that perhaps Eve might not have noticed on the, in, the, in the first conversation while she was having it. So the, the whole way through chapter 2, you'll see that God is referred to as the Lord God. The Lord God, okay? The Lord God, meaning not just, not just God, but the Lord God, meaning he's faithful, he's a covenant-making, he's interested, he's eager to see what's going on in, in his world. He's all-powerful, he rules over it. He is an eager eager to be with his people. He is the Lord. He's not just some <coughs> distant, fuddery old, fuddery old man who sits up in heaven and, and for my next trick makes creation, I'm going to create a world out of a hat there. He, he doesn't, that isn't how God does things. He doesn't just kind of set creation going and, uh, and just oh, for, forget about the world over there. It's nothing like that. God, the Lord God, is an interested, faithful, covenant-making God. And the first thing that the serpent does, just slips in under the radar, is just takes, that, takes the, the name away, the Lord name away. So, so it just changes some of the character of God and makes him perhaps a little bit further away, not quite so present to Eve as she's speaking to him. And he, he goes on to say, did, did God really say you can't eat from any tree, any tree in the garden? He didn't say anything like that at all. But for the, the, the extra context that, God, that the serpent brings here is that he's, he's just making God out to be unreasonable. Of course God didn't say, did he really say you can't eat from any tree? But he makes God out to be unreasonable. So he's made him out to be far off and a bit more distant than he actually is, a bit more distant than the God who comes and walks in the cool of the day with his people. He makes him out to be unreasonable, saying that in this abundant, beautiful garden, you can't eat from any tree. And then, I, I don't know whether this is through plain ignorance or, or cunning on, on his behalf, but he, he just then says... God's wrong about you dying when you eat the fruit. Of course you can eat the fruit. You won't surely die. God's just saying that so that you don't eat it, because when you do eat it, you'll, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil, like, like he does. You'll, you'll be as, as wise as he is. So God doesn't want you to do that. So he makes him out to, the serpent makes, him out to be, makes the Lord God out to be far off and more distant than he actually is. He makes him out to be unreasonable in the face of all this abundant creation. And he makes him out to be wrong, like he just doesn't know what's going on, like, the, like God doesn't know what's happening. And this is all a prelude. Nothing, no sinful act has actually happened. But this is all just the seduction to, to it actually going on. So, we want to look at what actually happens 
Who did well in their English GCSE or A-levels? Yeah, okay, so good. That's what we like. So we've got, so which of you know what the action words are called in a sentence? Huh? Verbs, brilliant, verbs. Okay, you, should, you shouldn't need to have an A in English to, to do that. But Okay, so you know that the verbs are, are the action words. Okay, now I don't usually, well I don't recommend that you take words out of the Bible and out of context. Okay, but we're wanting to look in this next section at what happened, the actions that happened. Okay, so what I'm suggesting we do is that we take a good look at the, at the, the verbs, the, the actual action words that go on in this. Okay, so, so you've got action words. If you take the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? So you've got Jesus, the name, okay, wept. That's what he did. That was his action, okay? So Jesus wept. You've got a noun and a verb there, okay? And we're going to have a look at the verbs in this, um, in this account. So... We're going from verse 6 here. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So let's, let's take those verbs, hey? Let's, let's take them out and li- line them up. Okay, so, so the first one, the, when the woman saw, okay, so we've got saw, she looked upon the fruit. When she, she, she saw it, she looked upon it, okay? And then she, she looked on it, and then she took it. Okay, so we've got saw. And then we've got took, okay? And then she ate, Okay, so we've got saw, then took, then ate, and then she gave some to her husband, and then he ate some as well. So we've got saw, took, ate, gave, ate. And, you know, if you, if you line these up, these, these actions, this, isn't, this little conversation that Eve was having, she didn't realize that this was going to be the way that the conversation was going. She, she was just having a conversation, and, and it ended up a lot further down the line than, it, than, than she actually intended, because you've, you've, you've got saw, fell into took, fell into ate, fell into gave, fell into ate again, and just things just keep on falling and falling. Actions keep on falling from one, to, one action to another, from one person to another, and, and just spreading out like this massive domino rally. You only have to press one at the front of a domino rally, and it just, it just goes everywhere. It spreads throughout the whole. It corrupts the whole of creation. That the whole, that, that these just small actions, this small little conversation that, that she had, one action just fell into another, into another, into another. And they were, the, that was what we call sin, rebellion from, rebellion from what God has, asked us to do and you know one thing about sin is that it'll always take you further than you want it to go and it'll keep you longer 
than you wanted to stay, and it will make you pay more than you wanted to spend. It always will. One action will just fall into another, into another, into another. From one person to another, to another, to another. And all the promise and the hope of the goodness of this fruit, that, that whilst it was still on the tree, it just looked amazing. It looked so good. It looked pleasing for food. It looked good for gaining, gaining wisdom between, good and ev- uh, between knowledge between good and evil. All the promise of that is eclipsed. It just pales into insignificance. Because what we, seen, we go on to, to see in the next few verses that what comes isn't that they're happy in their wisdom, their knowledge between good and evil, but they're actually confronted with shame. So they, they, um, when they ate of it, they, then the eyes of both of them were opened, this is verse 7, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That was how things were meant to be, just hanging out with God. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Because, but the Lord God said to the man, Where are you? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So this, this promise that they had before them, this hope that they had of gaining the knowledge and, and just how good this fruit looked, just pales into the shame of having disobeyed God. Because here comes God in his holiness. And holiness can't be in the same place as sin. Holiness can't be in the same place as rebellion from God. And so God turns up and he doesn't, he, he doesn't even utter a word of judgment at this stage. Okay? This, isn't, this isn't God getting angry at this point. He just turns up and all of a sudden they're hiding. Okay? They're hiding in, in the kind of the mother of all, the, 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 the first of all cover-ups. Yeah? They're, they're so ashamed spiritually of what, what they've done that they're trying to cover things up physically. Like a, like a fraudster trying to cover their tracks or something. They're trying to, they're trying to hide in a tree that God made and with itchy, scratchy fig leaves. Ah, have you ever felt a fig leaf? <laughs> so, God, God turns up and he says, where are you? And, and the first, uh, and Adam says, I, look, I, I heard you coming, and I realized I was naked, so, so I, I hid. And again, not, 
not a word of judgment yet, but the consequences of, the, of this action just start to come out. That not only are they consumed with shame, but, but now Adam, the, the man, says to God, that the woman that you put here with me, okay, God, God hasn't said you've done anything wrong at this point. God hasn't said I'm angry with you. But the man knows, and he, and he is just trying to get the blame off of him. He's trying to get it back onto God. It's, it's the woman that you put here with me. I, I just want to get rid of this. I, I want to get rid of this blame. This is not my fault. This is, this is her fault. She ate it. This is your fault. You gave her to me. You put her with me. It's, it's not my fault. These desires that you put in me, Lord, you, you put them in me. I, I can't do anything about them. I, they're not my fault. I, I just succumb to them because, I, hey, I live, I live in a fallen world now. This is not my fault. That's, that's what, this is the consequences of, of, of the fall. This is the consequence is that people just try to blame others and don't, don't accept the blame themselves. They try to blame God. He tries to blame God. And he tries to blame his wife. There's already brokenness in the relationship between people and God, between people and each other. The, the relationship that we once lived in, that unity between God and people, God and each other, uh, sorry, people and each other, people and the abundant land in which they lived is broken. That relationship is already broken. But then God does speak. He does speak into this. And and he has to bring his judgment. So he describes a curse upon the upon the ser- upon the serpent. And and then there's a there's a judgment for for the woman and the man and you know those three parties in that the three people three parties in that story, you can kind of see yeah they all had a part to play, yeah they all had a a part to play in this. So um, we haven't got time to to go into everything that, that God said upon uh, said in in this situation, but he he describes a curse upon the serpent and there's judgment upon between the man and the woman, up on the man and the woman. And you can kind of see, well, yeah, all of them had a role in this. They all did. But then I was, I was reading, um, reading in verse 17. And, and the Lord says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. Now, as I was reading this, I, I was just thinking, is God that angry? Is this God losing his temper? That I'm angry with the serpent, I'm angry with the woman, I'm angry with the man, and oh, just for good measure, I'll be angry with the ground as well. Yeah? Is, is that what this is about? Does he just lose his temper? The, the, there's an inevitability about the curse upon the ground. 
because of the position that God put people in, the, the commission that he gave them, our ultimate purpose was to know God and to bear his image throughout, this, throughout creation, to bear his image and to, and to steward his creation well. We had authority over the earth. And by ruining things with God, by going our own way, that relationship with the land, because of the position that we were put in, gets corrupted as well. And it, it, goes, it goes further than that too. You see, Jesus was totally bound up in creation. We're told in, in the first chapter of John, John's Gospel, in the beginning was the Word. Okay, the word is known as uh, word is a, is a name for Jesus. Okay, in the beginning was the word, and he was with God. He was God, and so he was right there at the beginning of creation. And you want to know a little bit more about what God is like? We can we can just look upon Jesus and the the um, apostle. Paul, he writes a letter to a church in a place called Colossae. We know that, we know that as the book of Colossians. Okay, and now a lot of you are going to be going, oh, Tim, you're going to turn to 1 Colossians again. Your favorite verse. Yes, I am. I am. You see, the thing is, there's, there's, there is an amazing description of Jesus in this passage. You want, to, you want to turn to this in, in your Bibles. It's, it's one Col- Colossians 1 chapter, uh, and verse 15. Big number for the, for the chapters, little number 15 for the verses. And this is entitled in my Bible, The Supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. By him. All things were created. This is Jesus we're talking about. Okay, so he, he was there. By him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is like the hands of the Father. Okay, he is... He is making creation happen. He was there at the beginning. When he speaks, there is light. He's the, he's the hands, he's the words of the Father. And he is so bound up in creation. And, and you see that last verse that we, that we read, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But you know, let's, let's, have a, let's, let's take, it back to, take it back to what happened in Eden. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But what if... When, when we're just having those conversations, when things begin to slip in under the radar, what if he is not before all things right here in our hearts? What if he is not the priority? What if we listen to the voice of something created rather than the creator? What if we put more faith in the voice of something created rather than he who made it? What if we give more credence to that to, to the voice of, of something inferior rather than the supreme creator God. Then he is not before all things in my heart in that position. He's not before all things in, in, 
Eve's heart in, in that position, in that time. And you know, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. But if he's not before all things, things get corrupted and in and the, the force that holds the, the universe together, the force that holds the, every atom and molecule and cell together, for by him and for him all things were made. But if he is not before all things, things get corrupted in all creation. And all creation begins not to hold together. And thank God, thank God, he does still hold things together just <laughs> He still holds things together, but the fall corrupts everything. It corrupts everything. It gets in to our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the ground, but also, but also just existence in general. That everything is, cor- is corrupted because of sin. There's another thing that happens in, in, this, in the, the account in Genesis where, where um, we, we're told that they would sure, when they eat of the fruit, this, this happens in, in Genesis 2, we're told that if, if they eat of the fruit and when they do, they will surely die. And this is something the serpent says. It says, look, you, you won't die. God's just saying that. You, you're not going to die. And do you know what? We, we know that Adam and Eve leave the garden and they live for many, many years after that, don't they? So we, we certainly don't know, we certainly can't say that when they ate of the fruit, they died. That didn't happen. Eve didn't munch on the fruit, swallow it, and all of a sudden she, was, she just fell down dead. That, that did not happen. But... Life is more than just physical existence. Life was meant to be walking with God in the cool of the day. And when we are not with him, spiritually, that affects us. Spiritually, we're then cast out of the garden, cast out of his presence, not with him right there. There's a a spiritual death that occurs. Not just, not just a physical death, but and death did enter the world. But there's a spiritual death that gets in, that separates us from God. And people are cast out of the garden. God says, that you can't stay here. God is holy, and his holiness cannot exist in the same place as rebellion from him, as, 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 as sin. It, it, it just can't happen. He's a, ho- he's a holy God. So they, Adam and Eve are, are, have to leave the garden. And God does this graciously. You know, he doesn't, he, he's, not, he's not kicking them out because he's so angry. He just, he can't exist in... They can't exist in his presence anymore. If they stayed any longer, they would be consumed by his presence because of the corruption of the, of the fall. So he, he sends them out. 
into the world where the ground is cursed, where there are weeds, where there will be toil, where it's no longer abundant creation, but you have to work hard. And by the sweat of his brow, he would, he would make a living. And he does this graciously because he closed them. He, he doesn't send them out in fig leaves. He says, look, here are, some, here are some proper clothes. Go out, take those. He does it graciously. The shame is removed. The disgrace is removed. And it's covered in grace at that point. He, they, don't deserve, they don't deserve clothes. But he gives them clothes to go out in, to keep them warm. So after this, people just go out into, into, the, um, into the world and they still sin. They still turn their back on, on God. They still try to make amends for that relationship. They still try to get back to God in their own strength. They still try to do their own thing. And between each other, people, and we see, we see this all the time, people try to... Um, uh, they dominate over, over each other. They, they use people. They mistake physical intimacy for, for real intimacy. And the ground, hey, you know, far, modern farming may have overcome it, in Western life many of, many of the, the, the curse of the ground in many ways. But you know what? We still plow billions and trillions into the world economy. And do we see that grow? And in many other places in this world, the ground is just unfruitful. The ground is unfruitful. So we're cast out of the garden. And you know what, friends? The story doesn't end there at all. Our sin separates us from God, but what I want to tell you about and what I want to end on is how Jesus separates us from our sin. So we've got, we're going to fast forward to now God's got a whole nation of people. They're called the Israelites, they're, they're in the desert, and once a, de- once a year they have, um, they have a priest who will make, uh, on, on the Day of Atonement, who makes, sacrifice, uh, makes a sacrifice for them on behalf of all the people. Okay, and the way, the way this is done, if you want to follow along with this, this is in uh, Leviticus 16. It's called the Day of Atonement. Jewish people call this Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur? Yeah. And so, and so this, is the, this is the Day of, the, of Atonement. And, and what the, the chief priest, Aaron, this was Moses' brother, what he did was he took two goats at, at this point, okay? And, and one was to be given for the Lord. Okay, so, so what had to happen at this point is that... that the blood of that goat had to be spilt. That goat had to be sacrificed to take the place, to take the punishment. That blood cleansed the Israelites. Okay, that, that, that 
meant that they could stay. It was, it was kind of Godward. They could stay in, in God's presence. It was an offering to, to cleanse them to stay in his presence. But there was a second goat, not the goat for the Lord. This goat is called the scapegoat. Uh, we've all heard that term. We hear it, hear it in, in political scandals that there was a scapegoat in, in this situation or there was a cover-up and there was a scapegoat. You know what? Again, that's, it's, a, it's a corruption from its earlier meaning. The scapegoat is an amazing picture of Jesus. You know, just, just as the sacrificed goat was a, is a picture of Jesus' cleansing blood shed for us as he was nailed on a cross for my sin and for your sin. It was a, they were, the Israelites were looking forward to the, that day when, when the Messiah would make a way, Messiah Jesus would make a way into make a way for people to come to know God. And so, so he was sacrificed and his blood was shed to cleanse us of our sin. But you know, this scapegoat, this represents something else that Jesus does. We, we sing, my Jesus, my saviour. I, I don't think my Jesus, my scapegoat would be such a catchy title. Because what the scapegoat, what, what the scapegoat was there for was, and, and we'll, we'll read this um, in, in Leviticus 16, um, verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat so that the, the goat for the Lord has already been sacrificed. He's to lay both hands on the head of it, of, of the live goat, and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put, on the, put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself the sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. You know, so symbolically, the priest is putting, he's confessing the, all the wickedness of a nation, all the wickedness of a people, Upon this animal, and you can imagine it. They're, they're, on, on this day, they see the people are gathered, and they see this goat being led out of the camp. The sin that is being carried on this on this goat is being led out of the camp, out into the desert, never to be seen again. Because the sin has no place in the, holy, in the presence of, the, of a holy God. Sin has no place there. That's why people were cast out of the garden. So they confess their sins on, the, on, the, on this goat. Okay? And again, this is, a, this is a looking forward toward Jesus. We believe in him and we confess our sins upon him. And our sins are separated from us. Never to be seen again. You know, the Bible says that God will remember them no more. It's not, it's not the fuddery old God that I just can't remember. I can't keep track of all the things these people do. He chooses not to remember. Because, because there is power in confessing, in believing in Jesus and confessing your sins upon him. And those sins are led away out of the camp. Because you have a place in God's people. You have a place 
in the presence of the Lord. You belong here. That's, what you were meant, that's where you were meant to be, in the presence of God. But your sin doesn't. Your sin doesn't. That needs to be led away. And so what, what Aaron did was he confessed it. He placed the sin on that animal and it was taken outside. Fast forward many years and Jesus is led outside of the city, out of Jerusalem. He's led outside to a place of execution, carrying our sins with him. Even though we haven't lived by that point, he did it for our sins as much as he did for people's sins at the time. He was led outside of the city, outside of that holy city, to die for our sins, to separate us from our sins. And you know, Jesus was was speaking with some Jewish people, and we can read about this in, in John 8. And he's and he is he's questioned. This is John 8, chapter 33. We're Abraham's descendants. We're, we're Jewish people. And we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? We've never been slaves. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you yield to sin, it has a hold over you. Now, a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. You'll be free from your sin. You'll be separated from it. It will be separated from you. There is freedom in that separation from sin. I, want, I wonder if the band would, band would come up and we're just going to respond to, to God now. Because there's freedom... There's freedom when we separate, when we're separated from our sin. When God, when our hand, when our sins are confessed upon Jesus, when we look upon Jesus, okay. And I'm not, I'm not just saying we're going to confess our sins for for kind of no good reason here. I'm saying if we believe in Jesus, who died for our sins, and we confess our sins to Him, and this, guys, this this happens. Still, when we're Christians, you know, we can we can sing about or we can sing about how He saved us from our sin before we were Christians. I, I I feel quite happy about doing that. I feel quite happy about saying, "You lifted me out of the mud and the mire. You you set my feet upon a, on the rock of my salvation." But you know, what about all the things that happen after? All the things that happen that my rebellion to God after He saved me. What happens in, in, in that situation? Well, you know, if we believe in him, if we confess our sins upon him, he breaks the power of the fall. He breaks the fall that corrupts everything, has no power over you if you confess your sins upon him. The, 
the fall that corrupts everything separates you from God. That is broken when Jesus separates you from your sin. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.